Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin, and we got a really cool episode for you today. Justin and myself took a trip down to Waterbury, Connecticut to go visit Ideal Fish, which is an indoor recirculating aquaculture system, or you'll hear us refer to it as RAS or RAS system. And while we were there, we met Joe McAwee, who was contracted there as a consultant to help them with their system. And Joe has a really interesting and extensive background in fish farming, particularly salmon farming, and he's got some really, really cool insights on the industry, where it's going and what we need to do to move it forward, and has a pretty positive outlook, which is really cool. So we took the opportunity to sit down with Joe and really dive into a little bit of his history, a little bit of RAS technology and where that came from and where it's going, and kind of what's going on in the industry right now in regards to farmed fish and why we're trying to get away from this farm versus wild mentality and why we should be looking at it as a choice instead of an option. It's a really cool conversation. I went down there with Justin and Elise Avalon, who is our BAP marketing manager, and we sat down and had this conversation. I hope you all enjoy it and you get a lot out of it, and we'll talk to you at the end. Let's talk about seafood. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. We're sitting down with Joe McAlee. McAlee? McAlee, yeah. McAlee, yeah, all right. First try, not bad. Um, and again, we're you know we're, we're still sitting here at Ideal Fish where we just did another recording for another episode. And as we said before, Maddie was not able to join us for this trip, but Elise was able to come with us. So Elise is our BAP marketing manager, and she's she's here with us. And uh, as we were meeting with all the folks here at Ideal Fish, we talked to Joe, and he we thought he would be a great guest. So we're gonna talk about basically his story and the history with his history with aquaculture and and how it's impacted everything. So. How's it going? Want to tell us a little bit about yourself? What's going on? It's going great. Uh, delighted to uh, see you folks here looking at one of the newer uh, RAS facilities in the country. Uh, we're in an exciting time frame for the development of not only aquaculture, but RAS aquaculture here in the US, which by now is basically the last bastion of hope for the development of this industry because it's well developed in Europe. It's getting well developed in Asia and uh, Australia. Asia. Um, it's been developed a bit in Canada and Chile. So America is uh, the last country that has really started to grasp it. And uh, for a country that imports 550,000 tons of Atlantic salmon a year and only produces about 22,000 tons, and that's in Maine, basically in Washington state, it's uh, very surprising that the American business ethos hasn't jumped on board and try to develop these businesses and industries um, with the rigor and business acumen that's required. Uh, if you compare it against the hog or the swine or even the beef industry and the uh, consumer now is getting so much more educated and wants to know about their food, its traceability, its sustainability, where it comes from, the ingredients that go into it and even how, it, how the best way to prepare it. So you're entering a new phase here of a, a required health and education nutritional aspect to a product that people traditionally have just assumed is here in America when actually it's not, it's imported. And uh, I think if we look at marketing figures for the last two years, you're looking at around 18 to $20 billion of seafood spend a year here, which 12, 13 uh, is imported. 
from China and those areas alone, and the rest comes from Europe and Chile, even with about $3 billion of home-produced product, and of that, I think over $2.5 is uh, the wild catch from Alaska or the shrimp in the Gulf. So we're talking about a measly amount of money here spent on right. internal produced fish in this country, which is a huge population ready to eat it. Yeah. And I think that you're getting more and more consumption from year to year here. I mean, well, figures currently show at the moment that this is increasing at a 7% yearly rate, which is phenomenal for yeah. a food substance. Um, well, it's food substance food substance that started so far behind. Yeah. So it's it's good that it's catch, starting, yeah, it's starting catch, to catch up. Catch up on a... On a well, well the great thing is, you know, that right. people know about this product and have known for many years because you've imported it. Uh, right. No requirement there to import this product. But now people want it homegrown. I mean, we have to be honest and say that uh, nowadays people are very, very conscious of food labeling and what comes with it. And what comes with it now? Well, it's sustainability, traceability, accountability. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some organic uh, statuses that people can look at too as well. There is, of course, the uh, very positive and excellent marketing of grown locally. I mean, everybody likes to try and promote their own and help sustain their own local market, uh, no matter what product it is. And to be into a position where you can do it with fish, where you can walk onto the farm and choose your fish effectively. And there's not many other industries that can offer that type of sustainability and traceability in your own back garden. And that's what consumers are looking for. Yes, that's what local, we're seeing that's, more That's what they want right years, now, right? Yes. We were talking about that before. How, yes, um, and that's what they're prepared to pay for, though, which is even more important. I mean, you know, people are saying, why do I want to pay for an imported product where 25% of the cost straight away is transport? Why can't I pay for a proportion of that as a cost coming locally and I'm paying for local jo- helping to contribute to the local economy and jobs and I know where it comes from in my own state? Mm-hmm. And current political awareness is leading us in that direction as well. But people's desire to be able to buy their own home-grown products is what we want. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about your story because you have yeah, an interesting path of how you ended up where you are so can we yeah i mean uh, i suppose (laughs) you've been involved with farming fish since you were a little yeah since i was a a young teenager back in ireland uh, i I was very lucky the industry had just started and i mean but but if we step back even from that i mean the the first commercial salmon farm cages in norway uh, were effectively only put in the water in about 1972 so yeah, we Pe- feel like fish People farming think has this been going on for, for centuries. Of years. But, you, but you're right; it has been going on for centuries. The Romans farmed fish and trout yeah, in their the front gardens, in the Nile but Plata. nobody turned it into a commercial yep. business for a global market like we are now looking at. So you look at that and compare an industry from the, roughly the 70s to 2000. It's a 50-year-old industry, yep. and yeah. it's grown from basically a couple of wooden cages and polystyrene blocks in a bay. Uh, with no knowledge to the very advanced offshore cage systems that you now see and read about in Norway and other places around the world, to these advanced RAS systems, the recirculation aquaculture systems that we are now seriously looking at and getting into the real nitty-gritty of the technology and the costings of running these. I mean, I think we need to to stand back and look at, we're not reinventing the wheel on any of this. Let me just say that from the start. This has been going on for centuries. Yeah. What we're doing is refining it and making it a business that you can make a profit from. And that's where the difference is. That's where you have to the brave people who will know the technology and, and invent it or, or perfect it. Mm-hmm. And the people who can run it or operate it, which is proving a bit difficult at the moment because of the RAS industry being a new industry. There isn't the expertise or the experience in this country at the moment yeah. to do that. And the experience that is in the other country, it's all been taken up or it's all been subsumed by those current new and existing promoters of these businesses who are setting them up. 
So it, it, there is a bottleneck there in education and experience. But isn't that an opportunity? That's more places for people in college. That's more in the science. Yeah. It's uh, more the branching out of from other disciplines like people who branch out from marine uh, biology into marine aquaculture biology, because yeah. they weren't aware of it. I mean, that offers tremendous opportunities to, to the youth of today who may not necessarily be caught up in the technological bubble or the stock market bubble. You're now getting back to where you can see, feel, eat, touch and work with a product that gives you a reward at the end of the day, week, month, year. You see it grow. Yeah. Like you mentioned, um, people are going to be are able to get into this without even knowing what it was. That's what happened to me when I went to college. I had a tuition break for majoring in aquaculture instead of marine biology. So I took it without knowing what aquaculture was. Yeah. And now here I am talking about it for a living. So, yeah, that's I mean, it. Yeah. So I was just lucky that when I got involved in the early 80s in Ireland, uh, we were just starting mm-hmm. salmon cage farming. There was a number of um, salmon smolt facilities in the country, but they belonged to the uh, power utility companies of the state because they, it was their responsibility to restock any of the rivers they had down for hydro. Oh, okay. So they built very nice hatcheries, but it was basically a catch and release type system and their responsibility ended there, you know, produce X amount of smolts goes into a river and whatever comes back, the anglers get them. Woohoo, you know, the job is done. <laughs> uh, however, that's not a commercial entity. No. Know, we're, we, the taxpayer, <coughs> are paying for it in our, our utility bill. Right. So a couple of very smart guys realized, well, what if we actually start culturing them? And we follow the Norwegian, then Scottish examples of doing this. And I mean, that is how Norway started. You look at Norsk Hydro. That was the company that started salmon farming in Norway, which is now morphed into Movi, having gone through mm-hmm. two or three different changes. But it was it was a utilities company, same as Scotland. They had access to the water and they had access to the rights. So it made sense. Yeah. So we followed on now with the industry. So I was lucky to get them on the salmon farming. We start off with inshore cages in the particular, but we pioneered in Ireland the off, what's termed the offshore cage salmon farming, where we basically designed a new type of uh, net farming system and pens and anchoring and boats and harvesting and feeding and requirements to these large Bridgestone and Dunlop offshore cages, which were out anywhere from 8 to 10 to 12 miles offshore in hostile environments. You know, a calm day was a 10 foot wave. So, uh, but we produce a great product and other countries in the world started to develop this technology, America included, in, off New Hampshire and uh, Texas. We did some work down in Texas. So all in, the, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. In Port, that's correct. Sorry, right yeah. where we are. Yes, yeah. where you are now. And that facility is going now for the last 25 odd years. And it has gone through a number of different species from salmon to cod, I think halibut at one stage. And it's still operational. I think they use it as a teaching facility now for aquaculture, but it is there present. So I was very lucky to be involved in a lot of those projects because we were learning from our uh, colleagues in Scotland and Norway and starting to apply this. And at the same time, the Australians and the New Zealanders were looking at setting up these type of cage systems. So the industry took a quite a tremendous step in the late 80s. Really quick, yeah. In the late 80s and mid 90s, when people realized, well, we sort of got past this initial phase of just learning about the technology and the equipment and the markets um, the demand for salmon always at that stage far exceeded the, what we could produce at sea and then there was also the wild catch and people were starting to address that that issue with drift netters and uh, that area and I mean I, I believe around the late 90s early 2000s under an EU agreement they um, basically bought out all the drift netters certainly out of Ireland and uh, Scotland and I believe Iceland and Greenland and some in Norway. So now the wild Atlantic salmon is wild Atlantic salmon and it's allowed to return to the rivers for anglers to fish. Mm-hmm. And the salmon farming, commercial salmon farming, got to a stage was able to take up that supply chain and feed into it at constructive pricing. Yeah, that was really interesting to me. So last night when we were back at the hotel, 
Joe came back and, and bumped into us and we all sat around and drank some whiskey and Joe was <laughs> telling me about... For the record, I deny that accusation. <laughs> <laughs> um, me too. <laughs> yeah, who, who knows? We could be drinking it right now. You don't know. <laughs> he, you mentioned how if you buy Atlantic salmon anywhere in any grocery store, you get it at a restaurant uh, and it's labeled as wild caught, that is not true. That is incorrect information at the moment because the majority of countries I just mentioned, certainly in Europe, and I believe uh, the same here on the East Coast, that would be Maine and those traditional salmon rivers. I can certainly tell you in uh, Canada on the East Coast, it is illegal to sell wild-caught angled Atlantic salmon. You can catch it for yourself you can and catch take it, it You can and catch it, and, and there may be a, a, a catch uh, number, mm-hmm. um, but it, it is illegal to catch wild salmon on a run and sell it subsequently to any restaurant or hotel right. or for the consumer. Uh, and it, in my personal view, that's good. It keeps helps to keep the wild stocks uh, uh, available to the anglers. And there's copious amounts of studies of the, the amount of money angling brings to any particular peripheral area between hotels and food and cars and, and, and that type of um, ancillary business. So it's, you know, a salmon is not just worth $50, $100. When you look at it as the ancillary cost, you could be looking at thousands of dollars in local economies. And there's proven documentation and, uh, to show that in many of the European countries where the returns are very good to acceptable and, and the anglers are able to fish it. But the majority of Atlantic salmon that you were receive as a consumer in the restaurant or in the supermarkets or anywhere else is originally farmed. And if it's in the U.S., it's probably out of Chile or Norway? Uh, Canada. Okay. Uh, Canada, both east and west coast, uh, because they farm Atlantic salmon on the west coast in B.C. Places like Coke Aquaculture. That, that's correct. And, you know, you've created salmon doing coho, uh, uh, which is a specific species, and you've a number of uh, European companies like Greg and uh, Marine Harvest or Movi now doing salmon BC yep. produces you know seventy eighty thousand tons a year. The East Coast has a number of um, Norwegian companies now and Cook and as well they produce I think similar numbers, but that's going to expand significantly because there is now a renewed interest in uh, expanding Newfoundland's capabilities. Hmm. So that's going to increase uh, significantly. There's a small amount produced in Maine. By Cook, right. there was two to three producers in Washington State producing salmon, but that's going to end now in 2022, as the government for the state of Washington has um, pulled all licenses, so there'll be no continuance of farmed Atlantic salmon in uh, the state of Washington. Is, is that a? Do you think that's a response to that um, net pen that? Escapes. That, that had escapes. Yeah. It certainly, it certainly was a a large factor. Yes, yeah. I would say that. Um, there are other factors there between tribal water rights and between oh, pollution okay. and navigation rights. Um, but it was a significant factor, I would say. But unfortunately, you also had a political motive behind it, and a group were able to mobilize and and take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at it at the cost to the local economy and how that's going to take a hit that is significant and again there's documentation uh, from certain countries that's shown sociological and demographic demographic and economic impacts of a, a singular salmon farm and how much is worth to the local economy and you have now hundreds of people out of jobs yeah, and you have an ancillary ancillary exponential number of people going to receive much less of a pay packet from truck drivers to mm-hmm. cleaners to caterers so nobody has quantified that yet so who takes who takes that responsibility now the government social welfare are you going to lose highly qualified experienced people from that area now more than likely yes yeah and you know so fish farming, it does have a huge and that wasn't i think uh 
brought to the notice it should have been in that particular political argument. I mean, there is a yeah, it recent. It does seem kind of hasty. It, it was, uh, yeah, it was a very hasty decision, and it was it was politically based. The most recent report I saw available was Scottish Fish Farms produced a report on one area where they farm, and they showed, were able to demonstrate a twenty-five million sterling uh, spend for that area. That's roughly thirty-three million U.S. dollars in one little area in Scotland for one salmon farming business. Wow! So That's there are document, there is documented evidence out there uh, that people can refer to. It's just, I suppose, it becomes Who, selective. Who's going to do that? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think somebody in Scotland has to fight somebody in Washington State's battles for them, but the data is there, you know. Yeah. And so you have Chilean salmon into the U.S., so the big uh, supermarket chain, very popular. You have Norwegian and Faroese, some Irish, and we we produce a small amount in Ireland, so some Irish and Scottish. So there is a mix, and each product is based on its organic status or its uh, sustainability status. So there's a pricing structure there that affects them. People will have a preference. Right. But I would still go back to my original statement and say to you, you know, this country imports at the mo- last year 550,000 tons of salmon and it's growing at 7% a year. Somebody has to supply that. Yeah. There is a demand for it. It's not that we're footing the market. There's a demand for this product. And it's primarily Atlantic salmon that we're eating. This is pure Atlantic salmon that I'm yeah. talking about. Yes, yes. So when you see those articles where I compared a wild-caught salmon fillet with a farm-raised salmon fillet, and this is the differences, is I mean, they're, exact, they're the same thing, if they're Atlantic. Well, the same species, first of all, but people cook in a different way and you get a different taste. Right. I, I will say that as a fish farmer. As a consumer of salmon, I find it very difficult to discern the two if they're both cooked exactly the same way. Right. Yeah. Uh, I know people can demonstrate, uh, uh, you know, the oil levels or the, the color as you cook it. But uh, when you eat it, you're getting the same nutrition, which is what I'm really eating for. I'm eating for the nutritional value, which is your omegas right. and your minerals. And I can compare that. But I would say the same then to somebody and compare a grass fed cow to a corn fed cow. There is a tremendous taste in the difference. But if they're cooked the same, it's, it can be hard to discern. Yeah. So I I, I respect that people uh, have that difference of opinion and demonstrate in their own way that they can show that. But at the end of the day, isn't that what makes the two products different and why we have different uh, requirements and consumer levels for it? Yeah. um, But it also comes back to your opening statement of let's get down to the nitty gritty, which is sustainability, locally grown, organic, traceable. This is what the consumer now wants. Yeah, which is great because it drives everyone to be better. Well, it drives us as the farmers to be better. That's the first thing. So right. we, we have to That's produce. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and you're dead right. But I think that, that then percolates down the line very quickly because if we're producing a better product, then the chef has to be better at the, the, the product they put on the table to you and your expectation as a final consumer, you're the one paying that money for that product, gives you that expectation. So, I mean, we have to be at the top of our game to make sure we actually get paid at the premium to make our business a profitable business. Right. So we need the consumer as much as the consumer needs the product and the value for the product. Yeah. And then all, that all needs to go down the line through education because they Absolutely. need to know that it's... Absolutely. And where does, it, where does that start? I mean, at the moment, uh, it, there is no real educational aspect to a lot of our foods we eat. We, we just assume we know about it. Um, but thankfully, over the last number of years, with the big push in organic first and now in traceable and sustainable, people are actually looking at and reading the food labeling on the products some have read it for other products that this want to know it anyway. I would say refer to the chicken or the bacon industry and how they've uh, labeled their products over the years. Whereas you haven't had that same level of intensity or clarity for the fish. But now you do, in fact, I would say it's even better than all the other food products that you see on the shelf. Yeah. And at least you, you talked, we talked a little bit last night about 
you, you're talking to restaurants and other avenues that are getting to the retailer about communicating some of these these things and how the practices have improved and stuff like that, right? Yeah, I mean, I still think there's so many misconceptions around this industry, and that's part of what we do at GAA is trying to clear up some of those misconceptions, right? And we just talked about one, which was farmed versus wild. I mean, that's we don't want to see it that way. We want people to just eat more seafood. So, right. but I think too as well, you know, we have to get away from this farm versus wild because exactly. I yeah. don't see it with chicken versus chicken or, or <laughs> right. bacon versus bacon. Yeah. Uh, sorry, pig versus pig or swine versus hog. You know, <laughs> we're, we're playing here with with with, with uh, what people feel suits them, but that's not educating people. I mean, what we have here is a choice. We have wild or far- or farmed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I like a choice when I go in to a bar of whiskeys or, 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 or beer. Right. If they tell me you have to have this one because this is local and you have to have this one because it's imported, that's not a choice. That's an option. Right. If mm-hmm. they show me a menu of products, that's what I want to see. And that's what I'm willing to pay for. I'm going to start at a certain price level and the more data I have on that product, maybe the higher I'm prepared to go up that price scale or lower. So which way do we want to go and how do we want to go? But then I'm going to look at the nutritional value. I'm going to look at... Mm-hmm. Uh, the sustainability of it if it's locally grown how can I support the people around me because this is where we need to be so you know I've had this adversarial disagreement both verbally many times and and, and uh, in literature many times I think we need to, to to grow up and get away from it you know what we're doing is we, I, we're, I'm a fish farmer I'm offering you a product I have a history in it I have a value for it I have a traceability, sustainability. That's it. That's what I'm asking you to buy. I'm not forcing you to buy some other product. I cannot speak to that. I cannot tell you where that wild Atlantic salmon was caught. I don't know what waters it swam through. I don't know the quality of those waters. I don't know how how it was fished out in the end to give you a comparative product. So I'm not comparing the same. It's two different products. Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of the time, though, the industry is at fault for because... We're sending so many mixed messages to consumers, right, about, you know, the origin of the seafood and how it's raised. Don't, you know, don't eat seafood from this country or don't those kinds of things. And, and you, I think you know, all it's doing is creating confusion. Right. I used to think this, too, that it was the this infighting in the industry um, where the wild caught people are saying, oh, don't eat farmed right. fish. Or they're saying, don't eat wild caught fish from there. Eat it from here where we catch it or, you know, mm-hmm. vice versa. And the more me and Justin talk to people in the industry, the more I feel like the people in the industry want, we want this unified voice. And we just, you know, and I think everyone that we talk to is on board with growing up and getting past this wild versus farm. And where we're seeing it more now is from the consumers and the influencers in the space, not the producers, not the people who are catching or raising the fish or selling the fish. It's the people that are telling other people, hey, Mm -hmm. I'm... I have a blog with 30 million viewers every year. And like, I'm going to tell you that you need to eat wild caught versus instead right. of aquaculture, because that's my personal belief, because I haven't been educated on this sustainability and all this stuff. So like, I feel like we're seeing less of this infighting and back and forth in the industry. And it's more on the consumer level of them talking to each other. And like, we need to clear up the misconceptions on that level. Right. And that's the, that's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Uh, but I think, you know, the important thing in this as well is to realize that, you know, 30 years ago, we came up with a product, farmed salmon, mm-hmm. and we sold it onto the market with the knowledge we had at the time. We have actually realized we have to get far more advanced in our knowledge of that product, what goes into it, how it goes into it, how it's digested, where it comes from. So we have, as an industry, 
generally speaking, led that despite the the disagreements or the the differencing mm-hmm. of opinions from the various groupings that you've mentioned who don't do that work or don't spend the money on that. And their only comparison is to take a wild product. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of data there to show the nutritional aspects of a wild versus farmed in, in any of the species, not only salmon. Mm-hmm. Let, let's be fair here now. In other species as well. And people are, the consumer now starting saying, well, this is what I want. It's great that you're giving me this information about the product, but this is what I want. Yeah. And as a farmer who's gone through this, who's, who went through the initial stages farming the fish without a lot of scientific knowledge to having to develop that with the technology and incur the costs and the, and, and the time frame, the learning experience of that, as against uh, the wild where I wasn't getting this same information, to the alternative species we're now doing, applying the same thinking and strategies, to the big companies of the world who are doing this and spent the money on this, to be able to put this label on this fish now and tell you these exact facts. As the consumer, isn't that what we're looking for? I mean, I know I would not buy a brand new car from the lot unless I've test driven it. Mm-hmm. I've looked at the price and tried to uh, argue it up or down, depending on uh, yeah, yeah. the type of car, uh, a, a history of the vehicle, if it's second hand, and talk to at least one person, if not read a number of references on how this particular model uh, goes. That's what we've done in the fish farm, and we've provided all this information out to the consumer. And it's up to them to It's up to the consumer to seek it out. And now they're starting yeah. if to. They are, and if you, if you don't have that similar or comparative data to pick from, from a wild product, be it anything, be it in the, in the, in the agricultural industries, mm-hmm. then you're not really comparing like to like. You're comparing misconceptions. And like you right. said, it's it's offering Which, a choice. That's right. And to, then to your point of how does the consumer know what, what have they been bar- bombarded with, I think if you look back over the last 20 years of the salmon industry it, from the Norwegians, because they're the largest producers and they spend the most money, I mean, they are driving this industry. You look at, I don't think there's been a really different story to the very start of 20 years ago when the first guy put up his hand and said, I'm going to mm-hmm. become organic and what it was going to be, to what you have now. What there has been is a concentration and condensing of that information because we've become scientifically better, technologically better, and economically more aware of what we have to do to be better. Right. Yeah. I don't even know where to go. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't want to take too much of your time, so we are going to wrap it up a little bit but i do want to talk about setting up an ras system mm-hmm. because we feel and you feel that this is going to be a big part of the future of the industry one thing that we talked about was what we talked about in the video with eric is that he's saying oh you can set this up in a an urban area you can set this up anywhere really but there are limitations that make it better you know you really need to be specific on where you're choosing to yeah, I mean, build one of these and what what goes into all that i i think you know eric is referring to the generalization of ras systems yes, and the capability of them and he, and he is correct in that statement yeah you can't just but you can't really just anywhere. plop it somewhere yeah. either you, you can't know just find I mean? a warehouse and be like let's fill this with tanks <laughs> well you you could but then you ha- you need at least two other factors and one would be f- where is your incoming water coming from to that facility you just mentioned mm-hmm. and its location and second is a quality and how you're going to discharge any discharge you have from it. And by I mean the discharge, the important that's every area is different in its licensing and its permitting. So mm-hmm. that's just one little area. But then it's how much water you can get. Do you need that amount of water or is it still too little for what you need? Right. Now, bearing in mind, you know, one of the... And how mi- much is it going to cost? <clears throat> well, I, I, again, that's sort of the economic... I, I would break it into three areas. And whenever I look at a project or talk to somebody, and when I was at Pentair as the, as the global sales manager for the aquaculture division, I met many people from many different backgrounds, many economic stories on the idea of RAS. And, and I would always come down to the same few parameters because you have to be realistic about this business. 
It sounds like a sexy, nice business. Right. It and almost it, sounds too good to be true. And it is if you see a really good operation. But nobody knows the history behind how you get to that stage. So you need, you need a really good management team in place first. And this has been a traditional mistake because they, they go out, they get the money, they get some advice, and then they build. And the guy who's going to grow the fish isn't there for the build and doesn't know where drain is because he hasn't been given access. So you need now a good man. That manager must be three sort of disciplines. It's got to be financial, it's got to be biological, and it's got to be technological. So that's the first thing. So plonking it in an urban area, you may pick up those disciplines, no problem. So that's, that's good. The second one is, what type of facility is it and does it allow you to expand or develop what you need to develop physically in that site? Are you mm-hmm. going to be in a building that has beam, central beams that prevent you from building a certain type of tank? So what happens is then you get this big building, you, you design it with X amount of tanks to discover really they're the wrong size tanks and they're not going to give you the economic return. But it has all these other things you mentioned. So that's a practical That's a practical thing. So that's practical. So plopping it somewhere, which is a good description, is where a lot of people kind of, no, it's going to be great here. <laughs> and one of the things around RAS is, you know, the closer you get to the urban conurbations, the, the easier it is, the better it is for transport costs. And that is true. But not a, every urban conurbation has the facilities. Right. And then the third one is the cost of it all. You know, the actual farm itself, the, the capex that's involved, very high capex up front in this business mm-hmm. the species and where you're selling uh, is very is important for is there a market for that particular species yeah. you've just chosen to sell and is it at a price range and then I suppose the last piece in it is the, the management team to run that facility so there's a mixture there of finance biology technology regulatory issues mm-hmm. are you paying for the abstraction of that water or not are you paying to discharge it or not and also now all the rat farms look at ancillary ways to use their effluent that could be aquaponics it could be a separate species it could be fertilizer, compost. Yeah, some, We're looking at all that as well. Yeah. So just like the agriculture business, we are looking at using 100% of everything and uh, have no waste stream matter of any type of financial or, or, or biological. So once you find a location that sort kind of fits, fits that all groove places, and all those yeah. principles, and, and, you know, it's not that they're scarce. It's just you have to do some research on it. You can't just decide I'm going to build one yeah. in and a big city. the other thing city. is the political environment as well, because we were talking about how this community has really fully embraced this That's very, this very facility, true. And, which and, is, and, yes. I'm sure is not the case in a lot of places, that especially is in the U.S. I think in the U.S., again, I mean, you know, fish farming is the majority of the people in Europe or the peripheral regions of the other salmon-producing countries understand it. It's not understood here in the U.S. only because it's not here, let's be honest. It's not here. There's not a lot. So a lot of people have a misconception that could be through the press, that could be through through the, the, the misinformation that's out there. And I suppose you can find misinformation and everything if you want. You believe what you want. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, here's the product. Here's what it does. You can go on YouTube and all these uh, media facilities and find out exactly what's involved. You don't need to be a rocket scientist anymore uh, or, or certainly belong to the, the, the upper echelons of the scientific community to, to understand this business. So you need to have the community buy But you need the community buy-in for a lot more than just you want to put your business there. You need it because you're, these are the people you're going to employ. Mm-hmm. These are the people who are going to promote your business by buying your product. And these are people who may have the skill set that you need in that farm. So if you take a farm like you just mentioned, Ideal Fish, I mean, there's a number of locals employed here. Probably treble that amount or multiple that as the locals who are employed for the ancillary business, the truck driving, the janitorial, the the, the catering, the the cleaning. The part-time staff is a big thing because it suits a lot of people. And nowadays with people changing careers at an early age, you know, you can jump straight from financial to scientific. Mm-hmm. scenario so this type of facility offers that so the bigger they are the more people they'll employ 
And again, the majority of the time, these are locals. So now what we need next? Next we need to have education. Well, that's probably going to filter feed into some school or some college. Yeah. Now you've got a requirement for college professors and, and, and lecturers and all the college facilities. So it's very easy and very sustainable to see a business like this snowball into an effective big employer a in a local area. Kind of ripple effect. Yeah. yeah, it goes the other way. And I mean, you know, there, there are communities that can demonstrate that easily. You can read, I mean, Clare Ireland and Ireland, Ireland, which uh, built an offshore salmon farm, very hard to get out to and work. But now they've had to build schools on the island post office because there's so many employed. You know, you could say that about many of the Norwegian Scottish facilities that are very, very peripherally located. Mm. You know, you look at a farm like this in the centre uh, uh, of the city of, uh, of Waterbury. You know, there's a lot of people employed in this local area or depend on this business. Yeah, fantastic. So, anything else you guys want to talk about? No. And we'd love to have you on again to talk more no about problem. about uh, this. We can get you remotely sometime. So, can't always get people in the room. We mm-hmm. we lucked out having you here. You've been to the Goal Conference. Yes, before, I have. Correct. Yes. Do you think you'll attend again in the future at some point or? I have, uh, yes, I would, to answer your question. Yeah. But, I mean, these are very important because, I mean, you know, it's a form where we as a farmer get to, to give our experience to you guys who are going around yeah. to the various farms. And But I think also, you know, you need to feed that information back to us rather than in a periodic uh, publication or something. Get like that. out and of the silos and let, yes, every, you let know, everyone know what's going on around yeah, the world. Yeah, and I think, you know, the fact that you're out in the field, uh, you, will, you will be exposed to the pros and cons and people's views and opinions, good and bad. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, from that melting pot, you'll be able to start looking at a, an alternative or a more succinct way of presenting the industry to those consumers that you are talking about. And I mean, you know, we discussed it, but I mean, for me to walk into a restaurant, the first thing I would look at is what faces me and walk in, what's their sanitation rating, what's their their, their menu, what's mm-hmm. what's unique about this restaurant to me, given I'm coming here to, to spend a certain amount of money with an expectation. So if I see something a, that's going to have such a personal effect on yeah, you, so I mean, if I see a BAP, you're putting it into your body, correct, you know, if I see a BAP uh, uh, accreditation or an organic accreditation, well, that could be for fish or it could be for meat or whatever. I look at it because this is what I'm about to spend my money on. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, the more that we see these, the more positive I feel. But it's very important for the consumers uh, to be educated. And that's the first place it starts. And that may be something on the wall, maybe something on the menu uh, or maybe a document that you can QR. But because people today want to know what they're eating, this is what they're looking for. And I don't think it's it's good enough anymore just to put a you know, product of the USA on, on, st- on it anymore. I mean, that's just right. not applicable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, hence, we in the industry have spent so much money on trying to get it labeled and sustainable. And uh, there's an education process for the restaurants or the, for, and for the consumers both to be done yet and it's a daunting and a big job but oh yeah the agriculture industry has done it very well yep and they've had the time to do that and we're still this industry is still in its infancy That's compared exactly to those it, other two industries so but you have that to learn from now already so instead of spending ten thousand years getting it right like the agriculture industry have we can do it in 100 years yeah or less mm-hmm. i mean as i said we're 50 to 60 years of this very young and i'm from the salmon don't forget we're starting to, to provide all these other species i mean mm-hmm. you know I personally have farmed salmon, trout, turbot, halibut, cod. There are brand new farms uh, uh, starting to farm species like tahoba and potentially mahi-mahi. Mm. I mean, as a consumer, to walk in and have that range of products and to be able to sit down and choose from that with, a, with the re- respective accreditations that we're all mm-hmm. working on, that's phenomenal. I mean, there's, there, there, there's our future straight away. And with 9 billion people on the horizon... 
Well, isn't that the other thing that all these these organiza- respected organizations like WHO and FAO are coming out and saying, look, we know we're going to have 2 billion more people on this planet in the next 50 years. The good Lord doesn't give us any more new land. What so are we we're going to have to come up with <laughs> what do we use and how do we use our facilities? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's that's also starting to, to seep down into the investment community where they're looking at ahead in the next 10, 20, 50 years and seeing what to invest in. You know, yes, we need technology, but a phone can only do so much. But right. one, we two billion people that we need to feed, probably two billion people you need to give phones to as well, but that's a different issue. <laughs> but um, we need to feed these people. So what do they need? Protein. So we're looking at all these alternative protein sources now, some of them which we now feed to the fish. Mm-hmm. And they're as healthy uh, insect as protein the, and insect protein is a big one. Vegetable proteins, uh, seaweed proteins. I mean, these are all ancillary businesses that are based on fish farming. And I mean, <clears throat> if you were to look at and list down the ancillary businesses attached to fish farming from the scientific to the financial to technological, I would say you would easily get two to 300 different businesses for one salmon farm. Yeah. And I mean, so therefore the knock-on financial effect there alone, I mean, there it's, it is. It, it, it's tremendous. Yeah, awesome. So is there anything else that you want to get out there before we finish up? No, I'm good with that now. <laughs> You're um, around. <laughs> Joe, thanks so much for, for uh, joining us. If our listeners want to contact you or have questions, is there a way that they can do that? Or do you want us to oh, not allow access? Mind. No, I don't mind. Uh, I can be contacted on my LinkedIn page. LinkedIn? Yeah. Um, okay, so we'll put a, a link to... You can if you wish, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, for sure. Or they can contact me through you guys who you're... Uh, Are you a uh, member of GAA? Or? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. You're going to get a big member discount for uh, goal. For the next 10 years. Sold. Go. Done. Awesome. <laughs> well, again. Appreciate you coming on. Not at all. No problem. And I mean, I, I think, you know, the real kernel of this industry is education at the moment. Mm-hmm. How we educate everybody from the regulators, legislators, local communities, and the consumer. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, the people who are selling our product, that's the, the supermarkets, the distributors, uh, the one-on-ones. I mean, these people need to be educated as well. And we as an industry are generally willing to try to do that. Are we doing it successfully? I'm going to say yes. Could we do it better? Of course. Uh, Everybody can do always. something better, always. always Open to it in the different media. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, we would be sitting having this, we would be having this conversation in a TV studio with, with, with a, a jumping up and down adversarial group outside the door. Yeah. Now we don't. You know, I mean, everybody has their own medium. We do produce a product that is contentious to some people in some areas of the world. I think you could say that for every man-made product at the moment. But as an industry, you know, I want to make sure that our industry is sustainable. My children mm-hmm. eat the product I produce in my farms. And if, if they can't do that, what's the point of me being in this business? I know a lot of really, really good fish farmers. And I know a lot of really good people who work in fish farms and actually enjoy going to work because they see the fruition of their work mm-hmm. over a period of time you see that product and there's nothing more satisfying to walk into a supermarket knowing that there's your product being sold and people buying it and overhearing them say they love this product that's the ultimate achievement in, in our that's business that's really it that's why you do it that's yeah. why I, I do it yeah you know and I meet a lot of great people and a lot of people who really do work very hard at this business have given them a lot to get there, I mean, we're dealing with a live animal. Mm-hmm. It's it's good one day, it's bad the next day, and you have to deal with that. It has very antisocial hours, and you have to deal with that. But, you know, the reward is not a financial reward to the majority of people I know in this business. It's an accomplishment, it's an achievement. You're helping to feed people, but you're also achieving something and producing the product. Yeah. And uh, that's good. And But I, I do think over the next short period of time, it's going to come down to uh, education. 
we've sorted out the technology, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. I said, we're not reinventing the wheel here. It might be a bit bigger, rounder, fatter, wider. Right. But we sorted the technology. We know the principles of it. It's costly. I mean, we're trying to reduce that. We will get there. I mean, if you consider how much a salmon farm cost back in 1980s to now and what we've learned. But the newer, younger people who are very conscious of their diets and very have a good disposable income and want to spread their nutritional base, they're the people we need to educate. And uh, it doesn't take long for one or two generations to be educated if it's done the right way. And all this, these different types of media can do that. But you have to have the facts as well and you have to have the product and exactly, be yeah. able to stand over what you're producing. Yeah, awesome. So you good, Justin? Yeah, I am. You good, Elise? Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you so much again. You're very and, welcome. And uh, we'll let you know when this comes out. No problem. All right. All right. Best Thanks of luck. again. Okay. Thanks, Thanks folks. Okay, that was our conversation with Joe. I told you it was a good one. I really hope you enjoyed it. I loved talking to him. We really hope to get him back on the show again. And if you all want to reach out to him, make sure you check the link in our show notes so you can find a way to get in contact with him because he's super helpful and he's always willing to talk. If you want to talk to us directly, you can email us at podcast at aquaculturealliance.org or hit us up on Twitter. Our handle is at aquademiapod. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 1-603-384-3560. And remember, we have all kinds of extra goodies for our members. So make sure you go to www.aquaculturealliance.org slash membership and become a member so you can get access to bonus audio content, videos, our seafood social platform. We have a whole lot of cool benefits for our members and we want want to make sure that you guys get that so make sure you guys check it out once again i hope you enjoyed this episode thank you so much for listening remember to rate review and subscribe to aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends and we'll talk to you next time thank you so much